My special guest today is a mesmerising actor who played one of the most popular characters in the Bill's rich history. He's currently starring in the highly acclaimed biopic Sada Udham on Amazon Prime and has also recently delivered one of the finest pieces of screen acting I have ever seen. Ladies and gents worldwide, so many of you have wanted to hear me say these words, Chris Deacon is back. So, make some noise for the incredible Sean Scott. Sean, sir, welcome of a bill what an intro i can't live up to that that's yes, extraordinary you <laughs> yes you can here we go trip down memory lane absolutely i am pilot your performance genuinely it's exceptional a beautiful piece of acting thank you very much that's very kind of you to say so it moved me to tears and it does every i've rewatched it several times you know that's special um would you mind telling us about the project and, and how you became involved Sure. It came, I think, just uh, at the very beginning of uh, 2020. COVID was something that was happening in China and wasn't going to bother us in any way whatsoever. And um, I got a phone call, uh, just, it was dashed off, go and see these people in London just for an interview. And I literally, I think I got an email with the, t- with the text, the reading through as I was, just before I got on the train and you know, I went up, which was fine. This is a charity-based organisation that helps um, promote young talent of colour. It gives them a chance to shine, and that's the whole idea of the producers and the directors behind uh, the production of Iron Pilot. And they were great, just great. It was a lovely, lovely, lovely script, and the actors were excellent. The director was great. The the producer was wonderful. The the audition was at uh, Spotlight, which is the headquarters of a sort of actor's directory that we have. I think I did the interview, the reading, and it was extraordinary. I don't, I don't quite know what happened, but anyway, it just, uh, it just happened, um, and it went very well. Yeah. And we filmed it the following week, and we got it done. Literally, I think the whole thing was shot and done two days before lockdown. We, we. we it it looks fantastic. I have to say the the camera work, the director, it was just beautifully done. And the house, although it looks as if it's shot somewhere in uh, Sweden, it's actually shot in the archipelago of Pinna. Oh, <laughs> up near um, Pinewood Studios. Um, it's a beautiful location. It just went very well. I was very pleased with what happened. And of course, in the hurly-burly of filmmaking, one has no idea you know, what the edit is going to be like. I was knocked out by when I saw what the, the editor and the director had done. With it. I thought it was terrific. And it's an, obviously, it's, an, it's, a, it's the story of Pontius Pilate, or, or Pilate, I am Pilate, it's called. And um, I think it's about redemption or wanting to be redeemed, or a moment of redemption. And it's really quite a spiritual piece. And you get Pilot as, uh, it's quite interesting, because if you, if you were to look at, if you like, the cast with an E that Pilot would originally have come from, a colonial administrator from the Empire of Rome, he would have been from a good family. And this is the sort of thing that you send your, um, you go off and do it. It's your duty to, to, to the Empire, to the, to the Republic to go and do this thing. And of course, Rome is the centre. 
And what he's obviously thinking is this just local agitation that's causing a bit of trouble, but obviously a quite a bit of trouble. I mean, he's got quite a following, this chap. You can see it on YouTube. They were great. Great cast, great production crew, lady producer, and the director especially, the cameraman as well, the editor. They did a wonderful job on that. They were all terrific. It's interesting, the theme of redemption, because to me, I mean, it's been a little while since you've had a a screen role and to me it's like the the caliber of your performance like to, did you have anything in the locker you really wanted to sort of get out because it is an exceptional performance like genuinely it's one of the best pieces of acting i've ever seen it, it, it's something special well oliver i don't thank you very much for saying that you really are very kind to say that i don't um I don't know where those things happen when that comes. You know, that's that's something you just have. You start with the writing. Everything starts with the writing, the producer and the director. So that's how it begins. And, for, you know, then enter actor pursued you know, by a bear or whatever. Uh, but <laughs> it's the material that elevates what you do. It's, it's then up to you to do that. And the director sets the tone and your other actors set the tone for what then happens. And you just allow this this conspiracy of make-believe to happen because it's pretend, you know, it's all, it is pretend, but it pretend plus, if you like. <laughs> and when it's good, you don't actually know what you're doing. It sort of just finishes and you know you've done something that's good because it's, it, you know, it's a very satisfying job to do as well as having its moments of terror and anxiety. When it goes well, it's fantastic. And one of the things, of course, it's great to do is don't watch yourself in during the filming process because you always want to do it again. And if you know something, you'll know when it's right, it just happens. I know that on stage, you'd always know. But a good show would suddenly, you'd, you'd be stood there quaking in the wings, ready to go on. And then, you know, you do it without... It, and the next thing that was happening was the curtain was coming in and there was the audience was going, wow, that was terrific. And we said, great, great, everybody. That was terrific, everybody. You go, no idea, no idea. And got a clue, darling. And you're racking your brains that night. Well, what did I do? It was different. What, I mean, you know, God, I would like that to go again. I, that was terrific. I really enjoyed that. I don't know what people said. That was even better. Let's try and do it again tomorrow. And it's gone. You can't repeat it. Uh, Maggie Smith once said on of working on stage that each performance was like a it was like a ghost it's gone it's just it only lives for that night and that's when you're doing it you know when it's just happening it just happens for that night and you let it go mind you that's maggie smith talking about maggie smith normally <laughs> and, and i mean did i am pilot help you get the your your new film Sada am I saying that correctly Sada Sada Udam Sada is is like a Sikh prefix it means that you're a Sikh Udam is the name of the guy this again was just out of the blue and uh, I've been working as a gardener for quite a long time and I've been trying not to do too much damage and the guy who's been um, who I work with who's basically a very patient teacher he was the cameraman. And he held my mobile phone as we did it in this uh, rather large house. We did it. In, I did the audition to that. I put on a suit and just did it in their front room, which was rather grand. It winged its way off 
to wherever they were filming. And it's only afterwards you see all of it that you realise what's been, I mean, one just sort of sails in, ego ablaze, and uh, <laughs> you go in and do something. You've no idea that the rest of the production company have been filming for months and months and months. And very, you know, they've been filming in Russia, in, in a different part to Russia till I've been in Ireland. I didn't know they'd been to Ireland, it's all England and back in India. It, it went off to the, and I didn't hear a thing. And I just thought, like, well, it's just gone off into the ether. You don't hear about it. It's like an email that's not responded to. Sometimes you don't get a response. I remember thinking, I'm a bit miffed about it. I thought it was quite good. So I just, I called the agent just to say, do you want to check up on that? It's about five weeks later. Did, did anything happen to it? Did they, you know, was there any feedback at all? And uh, because, oh, no, no, they're just, they're, they're out scouting locations in Russia. And they're still not, um, they haven't got back, they've not made their mind up yet. And it said, but you're top of their list. Then uh, I got a phone call to say that they wanted to speak to me. And I thought it was going to be a Zoom meeting like this or whatever. This was before, well, this was before I am pilot. So Zoom was completely, um, I didn't know what Zoom was. Yeah. So, of course, the answer to your question is no, it had no bearing whatsoever right. on I pilot because it could, I've just realized now it was before. I filmed it before. What happened was I went over it. So I, we did Iron Pilot in the January. Sada Udan, I went to Russia. We filmed that for a couple of weeks, about now, in, in 2019. And we went to St. Petersburg, and St. Petersburg doubled up for uh, London. And it, funnily enough, that St. Petersburg, great chunks of it, um, it looks like Kensington thinks Kensington ought to look like. It's wonderful. Right. It's just stunning with canals and everything running through it, or rivers even. And that's because I think the the Tsar who had St. Petersburg built had spent uh, a bit of his young life in what was Regent's Park, you know, West London, Kensington, Knightsbridge area. So that's what that's why St. Petersburg is the stunning place that it is. Uh, today to go and visit and so we filmed there and it doubled up as London so that they I spoke to them on the phone and in the end we, we did it on whatsapp okay. <laughs> so I, I had to get I had to get the app put it on and Shujit Sirkar the director and Tushar his assistant director um, called me from a hotel in St Petersburg and started talking to me and I, I realized as they were talking to me that they're talking to me as if I'm doing this. And I had no idea if I was doing it or not. Oh, so, wow. so I just had to find out. So um, you'd like me to, <laughs> you would, you would. Oh, that's great. Excuse me just for a minute. I'll be right back. And I sort of left the room. I just went and had a quiet scream. Of, yeah! And uh, <laughs> came back because I think that was my, um, that was more or less the first job that I'd done since I decided to sort of, Come back. Give it a go again. Yeah. Yeah. And that was it. It was fantastic. So we went out to Russia and I joined this extraordinary family that was this enormous. <laughs> I mean, it was just like a big family. Um, brilliant multinational crew that was shooting this epic. A remarkable experience. Uh, really, one of the, you know. I did keep a diary. I do keep a diary anyway, but I remember um, the impressions then. And it's still, and if I think about it now, it's still vivid. Both the, I mean, 
St. Petersburg is the most extraordinary place you don't want to. If you're going to chance, go. they've got a museum there called the Hermitage Museum, the Hermitage. And it's an old, it, well, it's a palace. And on one floor that would, that goes on for hundreds of meters, it seems, just on one floor, hundreds of meters, it's all impressionists. Chagall, Picasso, Rem, you know, it's extraordinary. I, I, I had two days off filming and I just spent it walking around there. It was remarkable. And of course, there's a lovely side to St. Petersburg, the stunning bit that you see, which is breathtakingly beautiful. And then, of course, you, you go out out of St. Petersburg and you get way off into the countryside and it's vast. It's just namelessly vast. But I don't, I, I don't suppose we're more than 20 miles outside Petersburg and here's me talking as if we were in the tundra somewhere in Siberia. It wasn't, <laughs> it's, just, it's just my imagination was running riot. And we filmed out at uh, one of these sort of thing you find around Ascot, their version of it, only, I mean, serious imperial um, aspirations, these houses. And um, we filmed some of it out there, and that was, I doubled up as uh, the governor's country residence. Just great fun. Unlike anything, unlike anything I've ever done before. And a great guys, again, just Shuja and the the lead actor, Vicky Corshaw, the, the Brit actors who'd come out to say, they were just, it was, it was good stuff. Just people just doing their stuff and saying, hi, yeah, no, I'm, I'm back tomorrow. I'm, I'm, then I'm gone. Then I'm back to London. I really didn't think too much more about it at the time. Um, you know, you do the work and a lot of this business is managing your expectations and COVID struck, of course, uh, not long after they'd finished filming. And in India, of course, COVID was appalling. So much as this was going to be re released in the cinema um, out there, uh, for which it was filmed and designed for, it never happened. And they held on and held on and held on and held on. And in the end, after two years, they released it on Amazon Prime. So that's what it's gone out on. And the trailer blew me away. I thought, oh, Extraordinary. I mean, it's just hugely impressive. And I know that sounds patronizing, but it was just not what I was expecting. Beautifully shot. I mean, exquisite. And the music was fantastic. And then the film came out. And uh, well, I was just stunned by that. I, it's, it's almost it's ridiculous me actually commenting on it because I'm biased. But uh, to me, it is one of the most, it's a breathtakingly complete piece of filmmaking. Vicky's fantastic in it, but the the visuals and the editing and the script and the other actors in it, it's a real gem. It's quite a hard watch at times. It's quite tough. I was intensely moved by it. Unlike, again, unlike anything I'd seen before. And if you go in with an open mind and just let the film take you, it's an intensely rewarding film to watch. I mean, how how wonderful to have a to have a comeback and to reward that leap of faith you take because it's a notoriously tough profession, isn't it? Acting and to yeah. get a gig like that as a reward. I mean, your talent speaks for itself. I'll I'll say it, you're a superb actor. I'll just say that right now. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thank you, you very you much. Deserve, it's true. 
and but it's such a. I mean, I I interviewed Ian Fletcher last month, and and like he he did um a lovely stage role at, at Greenwich Theatre in a play called Into Battle, and he was saying that that performance he he'd had a a few years out of work, and he said that it was a real test for him to see if he still wanted to do it anymore. But he, yeah, he'd always it is. kept the faith. You know what what had what had prompted you to to want to put yourself back out there again? I met an actor, David Stern, and we were talking, and he said, like, have you retired? And I said, well, no, I think it's just sort of giving you up. It's one of those things you do. You did the bill for a long time, because it was a bill, and, you know, people become very familiar with your face. You almost, you become uncastable. And in the meantime, you know, you've got to get on. I'd done that process in my head, and it wasn't until David suggested um, a good friend of his, uh, Tracy Beresford, might be interested in uh, sort of representing it. Nothing, don't don't think about it, just say, okay, look, I'm available. And that's where I did just completely, he said, just go to low key, see what happens. That's what happened. It, it wasn't the amount of time you spent sort of planning things or hoping for things or designing for things in the end. So often it's just a question of, I mean, by some bizarre set of circumstances, what lands in your lap. I mean, you, ha- you have to work for it, obviously. I mean, I wasn't given either part, but I certainly didn't plan it. It just happened. I'm so pleased for you. I really am. Thank you. I mean, it must have been frustrating then when COVID did come along because it kind of just stopped you just as your momentum was... Well, it's again. funny well that's because there goes the madness well funny enough the gardening was really picking up by then so i mean especially with lockdown people didn't have gardens so i was out gardening i'm about a laboring gardener i'm not a gifted gardener of any description i you know people like to go there and tidy their gardens up and that's what i do i sort of clear gardens and um a bit of pruning but with um with George, the cameraman gardener, um, yeah, <laughs> he keeps he keeps an eye on me and makes sure I don't uh, mess things up too much on the occasions when I'm out on my own and doing somebody else's garden. Otherwise, I work with him. I love watching you on screen, and and to me, you've got such presence. Genuinely, who who are your favourite screen actors, or was there anyone you grew up being inspired by? or you hold very in high regard as a as a screen well, actor bob as a kid bob hope made me laugh a lot i mean the road two movies things like that laurel and hardy they were great they remember seeing rod steiger in a thing called in the heat of the night i thought that was that was brilliant then there was a steve mcqueen movie bullet oh yeah which came along and that was i mean it wasn't just the car chase i remember there was i remember the way naturalism um in acting had started in the heat of the night with things like that. There was a genre of film that came along in the 60s and 70s, which were very different from the studio-based stuff that had gone on with 12 Angry Men. I remember um, Peter O'Toole in Lawrence of Arabia. I mean, that was a stunning film to see. And if I think of Sadar Udam now, I think back to the scale of, you know, I, w- I think um, Shujit Sirkar, the director of Sadar Udam, He's got a similar sort of, it's an epic piece, but you know, there were so many actors to choose from because then you had Schofield, Olivier, just some 
of the people who I saw as a kid, Peter Finch, Peter Sellers in his early stuff, before the Clouseau movies, but Peter Sellers in his early stuff, and Dr. Strangelove, you know, um, th those are the ones that, you know, you, the whole process is a thing of suspending disbelief. I mean, you know what you're doing when you go into a theatre or you go into a movie house or you're watching telly, but nonetheless, you know, you, you're a willing participant in it as an audience. And it works when you don't see the joints. If you think someone, oh, if you think someone's acting, that, that's usually not a good thing. But if you don't notice it and you just your disbelief is suspended, and then you go along with it, then that's people doing their job. You're being entertained. You've had a rubbish day. You've come home. Whatever, whatever the reasons are, you can watch it. But you've been entertained. I think the actors and the actresses who suspend that disbelief and take you that step further you think oh, what, what, oh no and the right but it all starts with the writing the writing is what you know that's the story that has to be told that's because that's what we are i mean storytellers do you remember the the moment where where you you thought well i could do that no i don't <laughs> i remember the moment when i thought i'd love to do that i never thought <laughs> i could do that i think you know when you're when Ian must be talking to you about the, you know, when he went back on stage that time, there's always a suspicion that someone's going to come up and clap you on the shoulder and go, hey, you can't, you can't do it. Yeah, you've been a, you've been a con this whole time. And every actor has that. It's, it's an extraordinary piece of kit, you know, the brain, the motivation for doing things. I mean, you like to think you know what's going on and you, we're clueless half the time. I remember thinking, I said I'd like to do it and I would, I would, never like to get old and think, Christ, oh, you know, I could have been an actor and never had the balls to actually give it a go. That would have been a bad idea. So. Were there any um, performing genes in your family? Had, had, had anyone done it before? Not that well, people did it professionally, no. I mean, people act all the time, you know. Um, so, <laughs> but no, no not as, um, not, not professionally. No, I mean, mum was a health visitor and a nurse. And she became a... Um, she ended up as head of nursing training in Northern Ireland, um, which is where she was from originally, Banbridge. And dad was a journalist out in um, Canada, which is where they met. Um, but things didn't work out for them, so mum came back um, with me in tow. And, but no, there was no, there's a lot of Celt, there's no English, there's a lot of Celt there. I think dad, I think Scots and Mum's mum's Irish. So no, nothing that I could point a finger at. And I remember the school teacher when I said I wanted to be an actor, which was an act of cunning as a kid. I mean, I got to the stage whereby you knew that thing was coming. Well, what are you going to do with the rest of your life, Scott? I thought, dear God, I, don't, I have no idea. I mean, if you didn't want to go to university, which I didn't, then you knew it was the armed services or the police force was going to come winging its way to you as a suggestion. And I just thought, just say you're going to be an so you've got to be an actor. And they'll go, well, I haven't got a clue what we're going to do. And Richard Moore says he wants to be an actor. Get rid of Just, you know, wash your hands. And I went to a, a school that is brilliantly looked after by the City of London. Um, it was originally for people whose parents or father, the breadwinner, had lost their lives in, in either the service of the Crown or the East India Company, as it was. It was a place called Reed School in Shelley. And my headmaster was at a fundraising dinner and he was sat next to a guy called Sir Bernard Miles who owned and ran a theatre called The Mermaid in those days. 
which was in the embankment. And it was the City of London's only theatre. And they were sat next to each other at the dinner table. And we've got a boy at our school who uh, wants to become an actor. Have you any advice for him? I said, don't. Don't. I said, rather stuck for anything else to do with the wretch. So, I mean, can, he said, oh, okay, look, I'll give him a job as a stagehand. And you can see the arse end of the theatre first. If you, if you can cope with a couple of years of that, then it'll test his resolve. Wow. And so, in a weird way, the old tie network got me my first job as a stagehand. And that's how I began. I spent a couple of years there as a stagehand. And in those days, you had to have an equity card if you wanted to be an actor. And they were hellishly difficult to get hold of. But... They did a show there called Cole. It was about it was a musical about Cole Porter, his songs all stitched together. And the assistant stage manager that they had on that show was a football fan. And the year that they were doing it was the World Cup. And he didn't turn up for rehearsals. He was too busy watching the World Cup. So they asked me if I would do it. And because the stage management position went with an equity card, that's how I got my equity card in those days. And that was just a pure... Pure luck, being in the right place at the right time. And that's, it's been a signature thing for me. I've fallen over things. You'd done a lot of telly before you joined the bill. So, I mean, where did yeah. that, like, is that instinctive, the fact that you're, well, you're so good on screen? Like, presumably you weren't taught acting for camera or anything like that. No, um, again, it's very kind of you to say so. It's one of those things you you learn. Um, you just pick it up. I mean, it's not, it's, it's not hard, but there again, you mustn't see the joins. And so you just tuck it away. But before I went off to drama school, so when I was 20, 21, I was doing a television series called... Um, I did my first job almost, was in the little afternoon television series called The Cedar Tree. And I learned a lot doing that. I mean, that was all painted out stuff. But I learned a lot and forgot a lot. <laughs> but that was, <laughs> that, was, um, that was a testing ground. And then came drama school and then theatre. So, you know, that is the life of an, you know, you try to, after all, the idea is to make a living at, at its basic level. You know, you try to earn a living stuff. And so you will inevitably be mixing theatre and TV. And you did um, at least one like Shakespeare play for television, didn't you? Was it Merchant of Venice that you were in? Merchant of Venice, called yeah. That the BBC did the whole of um, the Shakespeare's canon. They did the lot, and I think that was I was a I was a servant in one of the early Shakespeare's. Yeah, Merchant of Venice. Warren Mitchell was Shylock. So that was when dinosaurs had just left the earth. <laughs> Where were you in your life and career when the call for Deacon came along? Like, take us back. Well, to then, I just finished a musical. The agent approached me with this offer. Would I uh, be interested in doing the bill? And I just thought, you know what, this is when, you know, yes. You do grow tired of uh, hand-to-mouthing, you know. And I thought, It'd be nice to just uh, be, be secure in a way for that time. But you know, that's how that happened. I just finished a musical. I was waiting to see what was happening next. I, I tell you what had happened. I'd done that musical for a year, and I rather liked the business of having um, a wage check coming through the door every week. I think that completely softened me up. 
So <laughs> I just, yeah. So it's a the bill. I thought weekly wage check. Yes, that sounds nice. And of course, it had a very good reputation. The bill, and it's. I started, and um, I started earlier than I was meant to. Funny, you, you can I can place it in time because John Smith, the Labour Party leader, had really had died that the day I started work on the bill and been a huge kerfuffle. And they were choosing Tony Blair, the leader of the Labour Party, with Gordon Brown, but I don't think that was a done deal. Then, but I remember he'd done. That was the big headline news at the time. It's a real sort of Johnny Ringo esque intro that Deacon has because in your first episode you're only in the last scene and the entire episode is building up the arrival of this of this dashing detective who's you know slept with a senior officer's wife and I think Kerry Pierce describes you that you, you you're quite tasty that's the word on the street about Deacon you know so yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a really cool intro I think and uh... oh, it was fantastic I mean it did I mean it it's extraordinary that I arrived with my underpants inside my trousers. I mean, it, was, it was a, it was a real build-up. It was fantastic. And uh, you do, you walk in there and you do have to find a way of making your mark. And you do, you've sort of, it may look as if one's gliding, but I tell you, your legs are going like crazy below the surface. A lot of the time, it's how people play off you. And um, if you sort of, do your thing. It's how people play off you. That, and that's where the ensemble acting of the bill was so... It was just excellent. They were an excellent bunch of actors. And everybody played off each other. And you, everybody developed their characters around. And, you play, and actors played off, you know, the other characters. And so, again, that's you, it came to life. What did you like about... Deakin and, and how similar was the Sean Scott of 1994 to, to Chris Deakin? And, uh, there was no resemblance between me and Deakin at all and uh, never has been. Um, where I lived at, at that time um, in London, there was a, ironically, there was a police station not 100 yards, if that, away. And in those days, they that used to be the probationary police used to come. And it was in Kensington, so uh, Kensington was regarded as one of the areas where if you came straight from Hendon, the police training academy, then you'd get a, a, a great mixed beat because you'd, you'd go through Notting Hill, Labrick Grove, Shepherd's Bush. So the variety of work that we were dealing with was, you got a taste of everything. And I knew quite a few policemen. And so, but I actually got the role. I thought, oh dear God, this, you know, I can't mess this up. I've got, so I just, I kept a beady eye on two or three of them because there's a lot of macho role play goes on there. And then it's there's a lot of getting on with it. The people that I noticed that I looked at Deacon for, it was spotting the guys who just, um, they're like the people you don't notice. You don't notice them. They just, you know, they get, you wouldn't know them for policemen especially. They just, they just quietly do it. And, you know, that's what, the, you know, after all, this is what they've chosen to do for a living. And it's what, you know, I'm watching them picking up to those stories if one gets inspiration. Oh, Christ, I know how to play a policeman. You know, I mean, funny enough, you end up as, an, as a British television watcher. You probably end up watching more policemen being played by actors on television than you ever see anything like in your real life. Yeah. yeah. The whole 
this was that the bill was to say it from the policeman's point of view. And it was very low key. There were no stars in the bill. You, know, you, did, you, you had that part to play. So it was, uh, I wouldn't go so far as to say it was documentary style, but you knew, you knew what you were aiming for. And that was a believable character. So I had to find a believable character for someone with the build-up, as you've described. You can't play that. Just You can't play that side of the build-up. You just, just be, you know, come along with your idea. The DI, by the nature of the bill, you know, you're 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 following in the likes of Chris Ellison as Burnside and even Jay yeah, Griffiths. Big characters. Yeah, big characters. But saying that, uh, you might like to know because the, there's uh, lots of Bill fan sites and Facebook pages, and they celebrate characters very often. And these are some of the comments that the fans have said about Deakin. He had charm, humour, comedic timing, and could be hard-laced too. He was the opposite of Burnside in many ways, composed and quiet, but had the same toughness. He and Burnside are the two best DIs. None of the others came close. A straight 10 out of 10 classic character. Blimey, blimey, blimey. I'm going to get my head out through the door. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's very kind of said fan to have said that. Um, and a terrific, well, I'm chuffed to bits. That's a very nice thing to say. I steal, borrow, learn from anybody, everybody who's taught me. And one of the things I was taught is about talking and listening to each other. Now, when you're listening, that's what you do. You listen. Once you remember that you're telling a story, so you're talking and listening to each other. Once you've rehearsed and you've done your thing, you know what the point of the story is. You know, I mean, you know, you know, but of course it's important never to play the end of the scene at the beginning. You have to remember things like that. You let it take its time. And I remember an actor once saying, I was having trouble with a big speech in a, in a stage play. And I was always drawing at various points through this long speech. It was about a three or four page speech. And I just took my time and said, Sean, do you normally talk like stop and let the thought occur to you so when you go on to the next subject just take the time and let it occur to you and bang it's a piece of advice like that you see and you're suddenly that i've that i've used that in everything i do and it's called thinking time there's a close now there's a very close thing that has to be used with thinking time and there's a, and the second one is called milking it <laughs> So you can have thinking time, but you mustn't milk it. <laughs> so there you go. When you joined the series, it was being watched regularly by like 14 million viewers. So, Well, those were the days when, you know, of course, there were only three television stations, you know, well, yeah. four. I think Channel 4 had just started about a few years earlier. I mean, so, you were no stranger to like popular shows with, you know, you'd done three series of brass and, you know, lots of guest posts. But was there a moment when you suddenly were getting recognized, uh, you know, the fame side crept in with recognition from the There public? was. And the first time was on holiday. Um, I'd gone out to Menorca, I think. A woman came up to me and she said, I know you don't. I? <laughs> you, um, it's off TV, isn't it? It's a Blue Peter, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it, that particular bit uh, was um, just... Uh, I used to think, is it possible to die of irony? And I just think, no. <laughs> so, 
yes, you become aware of it, and it's it's not what it's cracked up to be. Right. But yeah, you do get recognised. It's something I think every actor might crave for at some point in their lives, and then you'd rather yeah, it wasn't the case. It's, you know, you don't like to go go everywhere and be pointed out or stared at. Nobody would. It's a novelty at first, and everybody thinks you're bullshit when you say that you don't like it. But really and truly, mm, quite invasive. Yeah, you know, most people are great, but um, it is invasive in certain circumstances, especially if you if you're out for an evening or something like that, and people are a bit merry and they've had a few drinks. Mm. But hey, mm. it goes with the territory. You can't be surprised. That's it. It's part and parcel of the job. You can't do a program like the Bill and expect otherwise. So, I mean, I certainly wasn't pretending to be a, a shrinking violet by any means. When people talk about fame. Um, and wanting to be famous, it's not something you'd wish on yourself, mm. in truth. It's something you go through, I think. It's a phase, almost. So, and so, mind you, some people thrive on it, absolutely love it and thrive on it, and I'm just not one of them. No. When you think back, what are, what are some of your fondest memories when you think back to your time there? Oh, the fondest memories would be times when we were just doing it. Yeah. Just doing it, just doing the work. And the guys, and I remember we did a charity do once at the Royal Albert Hall. We sang a Christmas carol. I think there were quite a few casts did it from other shows and TV, but that was the magic time. Of course, I mean, doing the bill was actually pretty hard work. I mean, it was pretty relentless. We'd be doing two or three episodes at the same time, sometimes in the same week. Sometimes in the same day, and you just hopping from set to set. The really good times were sometimes you do the big ensemble pieces, and uh, so you do it all in one take. Yeah, and you'd be passing through to various members, and you know, everybody, somebody pass you the baton, and you'd be going, "Dear God, don't let me drop them in baton before I get through." And you pass it on to somebody else, and you'd be going, "Yeah, good luck, good luck." <laughs> but it was there. There was a really good, robust sense of humour there on that set. I mean, people people were kind, but, you know, it was good fun. So it was a good time. We were good guys. And great, you know, behind the scenes, there were some great people in the set and the script writers churning the scripts out in the office people. It was good, good mm. stuff. Who did you share a dressing room with? I shared a dressing room with Mark, and boy, what a character. He loved punk. I think punk was actually raging out of the dressing room. And I thought, oh, hello, this could be interesting. And I signed up. And, uh, and there was Mark. Mark, great character. Big, huge heart. Good guy. Well, that's a great thing at that time. You can line up any of those characters with each other and it's gold. I think you all... Everybody worked very well. They, they, people were very, very generous and knew how it worked. And it was... There was no start, you know, nobody David it. It was great. We all rubbed along very well, you know. And of course, you know, at the end of the day's filming, we all lived in various parts of London. We all had to get home. So we just, everybody just, poof, at the end of the day's filming, gone, got to get home. And we, we didn't socialise that much afterwards. So that, of course, kept things fresh on the set. But some of the best times were, you know, the big CID things that were going. But it was dreadful. If we got a fit of the giggles, that everybody got a fit of the giggles. It was, God almighty, it must have drove the production guys 
round the bend, which of course made us laugh even more because we knew it was time was money sort of thing. But God, we had some laughs doing it. It was just, but there was some, I remember once, uh, one of the things where everybody was involved, it was a night in the, it was just a night, I think it was a Christmas episode, but things were going badly for uniform down in the cells. And just it, the, one prisoner shoved his clothes down the toilet and deliberately oh, flooded yeah, the cells. Right. And it, honestly, in terms of being satisfied as an actor, when the scripts were like that and the acting was going really well, some of those were absolute gems. Yeah, they they oh. stand up today. I mean, they were just great. And you could sit there and look at that and think, that was a cracking bit of work. Man. Yeah, I think that's section F. And Ben Roberts ends up covered in water in the corridor. I could believe it. Yeah, I just, yeah, they were just brilliant. And everything, everything on TV is better, especially if you've got a long read tonight. It's great when you know, there's humour in it that makes all the difference when there's a realistic situation and the guys pound themselves in because the shit happens, you know, and it's just. Funny when it does, things go wrong, and <laughs> you know people crack up about it as they're doing it. They try to keep a straight face as they watch somebody else batting their way through it remorselessly. And of course, the audience will love it too. So it's grateful. Oh, they gave you some really nice, warm comedy moments, and the one I think of top of my head is Foreign Body when. Um, Deacons can speak fluent French, but they send Ian Fletcher and Simon Rouse off to France instead of Deacon, who can speak fluent French. As an actor, once the writers start to write for the character that you've created, that you've cobbled together, that's when you can fly. Because you know, they're, they're writing to your strengths and what they see as your strengths, what works for them. That's the key in the series, is when um, people write for you. Or they take a delight in the situations, that, you know, the chemistry that's created with the others. It starts with the writing. Mm. Well, but the, you know, you're past the ball with the script, I and mean, then it's up to you to deliver. I mean, it's absolutely, episode... yeah. But that's where it starts. But I mean, then it becomes fun. Then it, you, know, you get an element of fun, and just you know, acting should be. It's got to have a bit of fun in your Christ, otherwise, it's just you know, oh. hide the calorie time. I mean, it's it's quite hard work. But if you can have a laugh without the laugh becoming the most important thing. The story is the most important thing. Comedy works because it's funny in situation, not because it's funny, ha, ha, you know it's funny. You, you must play the situation, not the laughs. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Well, you, you, I'm guessing you all had fun with this particular twanky. Oh, panto, I remember that. Bloody hell. You're, you're right in the centre of that. It's lovely, isn't it? Oh, God, it's something in the middle. This yeah. is... There's so many brain cells under the bridge since then. Look at that. <laughs> Great fun. Look at... Where did you get hold of that? Nigel Wilson sent me this. Did he? Nigel, yeah. how's he? Yeah, very well. He and Marilyn are, are, are very well. They're still in Surbiton and... Um... He's been great support. Every now and then he'll just send me an envelope of... No, he's uh, a good guy, Nigel. He was oh. a good guy. Yeah, he was absolutely the guy who knew where all the ropes were and had to be pulled. He really knew his stuff. Great, great. We could, it couldn't have done it without him. I mean, you did nearly 300 episodes in six that, years. Oh, that's, a, that's, a lot of, that's a lot of turnover, isn't it? It's a lot it of... is. 
Work. I think somebody had written up on, on a mirror. I think it was in our dressing room, actually. It's just, it's relentless. <laughs> just obviously got there. And we must have been shooting over the weekend and they were saying, oh, it's relentless. There were times when it just was, you were just, you just had to put your head down and get through it. I mean, it must have been really great when, uh, when you open a script, like they gave you one of the first hour-long specials, an episode called Deadline, where David Tennant guest starred. Yes, I remember, career. I remember. Uh, that is a, that's an excellent episode, but you are superb. That, um, I don't know if you remember, this is an interview scene where you stand him up against the wall. You are, you are eye to eye, and you actually, Deacon actually gives him a slap. He's... Mm. Um, He's kidnapped this this girl, and he, he won't... won't. He won't tell me where that where she is. That's right, and I can't get it out of him. Um, of course, the test. I mean, equity was in the bill at one point or another, and sometimes, you know, and very often, very often, the guest actors were top notch, and um, mm. David was one of them. Yeah. And again, the writing was there, and yeah. if the directors allow you the freedom to act they trust you to do it and they'll do their bit they trust you to do your bit especially you know when something's working you know when it's got um there's a free style of tension and what's going to happen next and you know that's when that's when the hands go up in the back of your neck of the lecture and you just go with it and uh, david was just excellent to work with and you know a really ballsy confident actor and good, very again, another just another really Britain's full of them, you know. yeah, yeah. All over Scotland, Wales, Ireland, you know, there's some really, really good talent knocking about, uh, and always has been. One of the great things about the bill, of course, was that it showcased so much of it. And it must have been when you've got the guest cast coming in, but also, like, I mean, Joy Brooks spoke so fondly of you, yeah, she's a good girl, Joy, yeah, she said you were her guardian angel, you know. Um, Blimey, bless her. Well, again, there was another good, really good actress came in, and it's very hard, you know, when you walk in to a bunch of, you know, fairly well seasoned turns who are used to doing the job. <laughs> um, you're coming in as the newbie, you know. Yeah. You're going to be apprehensive and a bit nervous. But I remember when I came into the bill the first time, that people couldn't have been kinder. You learn from that. I mean, you know, Christ, we're not angels, but I mean, everybody. Everybody knows perfectly well what it's like to walk into, to be a newcomer or to, you know, although it's very matter of fact and work a day on the bill, it's a big show. You know, you yeah. know, it goes out to a lot of people and nobody wants to look a turkey, go out there and, you know, and so, you know, you're going to be apprehensive and nervous. And, well, I remember the first time I had to do a scene with Ben Roberts, I was bumping my words all over the show. And Ben <laughs> just looked down at the phone. God's sake, what have we hired here? You know, but, I mean, <laughs> it's you just you go with the flow, it was very funny. And Joy was very good news, she was great, she was a, a great team player. Greg Donaldson also recalls he loves doing scenes in your office, which he described as walking into Narnia. Uh, he, he said, like, he, he just loves that that set and all the, the cupboards behind you. So I just think of that room as Narnia and I'd almost imagine like you'd walk in and 
it's like Sean would appear from the cupboard, you know, those big cupboards behind it's the desk. It's true. It's true. You do. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, God, that's right. You just have to do your lines and say, oh, fuck, that's cute, man. <laughs> you just... Uh, it's quite right. It's beyond that cupboard. And dear God, what was in those bloody shelves in the cupboards and in the essay, you know, or what we used to put in the shelves and in the cupboards. <laughs> uh, good fun, Greg. It's fun. Yeah. Good laugh. Good fun, you were also battling cancer at one point while you were in the show. So. I did. I was. Yeah, that was. Um, well, unintentionally, again, that was quite funny because um, I'd had throat cancer and I'd had a lot of radiotherapy on my throat. And uh, my vocal cords were o- over the shop. So one minute I'd be talking like I'm talking to you. And the next minute I'd go falsetto. And I remember... Ian, we had a scene in the car, and I was desperately trying to do it. I said, I'm okay. I, I throat cancer wouldn't hear all I am. I couldn't battle through anything. But my voice was Donald Duck with an attack of cramps. <laughs> and he just couldn't keep a straight face. He just, he was trying, the tears were streaming down his face as he tried to keep it going. And he couldn't, he just went like a drain. It was brilliant. <laughs> You walk in and say, so, oh, Sean, you look like shit. I mean, I'd love to say you look great, but you don't you look like shit, mate. You know, again, you know, just get on with it. There's, you just, it was, sure, you don't, I mean, what on earth do you say to someone who's got cancer? You don't know what to say to someone. So like, just carry on. And I promise you, they're grateful for it. Mm. Thanks very much. Expressions of how I rolled it. Yeah, thanks. Once you've done that, I mean, I was very lucky. Got it very early, and um, I was very lucky. Yeah, and I had a brilliant surgeon, and it, you know, it went. And fortunately, I've been clear now for decades. So, but I was a lucky boy. I think it's quite well documented. It wasn't your decision to go, as indeed there's oh, a it, lot of it, changes. At the, one of the funny things, it's just, it's the same with, it's the same with scripts, and it's the same just about anything. Endings can be messy, and endings are difficult. And uh, leaving the bill was no different. And it, however, the mistake made from an acting point of view is to imagine that things will stay the same. And that's a mistake because things always change. They, things always, always change. There is no walk of life in which they don't. And it's wrong just an actor gets used to the money coming in through the door every week or every month. You get used to that and you don't want that to change. But change is change. Hmm. end of you can't you know it's not a question of fair or unfair it's just you know if you don't keep your mind open to the fact that change is there then it's a failure really as a human being change will happen things come to an end everything comes to an end and the bill is no different and endings can be messy and often are you know the world keeps on turning big time and I promise you it doesn't really in the great scheme of things matters not a jot you got one of the great exit lines with "Up Yours, Jack." You know, you, 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 <laughs> what he said. Forgotten. Yeah, you, that's your last line to Simon Rose. "Up Yours, Jack." <laughs> it's a cool oh, line. Oh, so yeah, it is a cool line. Yeah, Simon's <laughs> good. Another good guy. Some actors didn't get a decent exit or didn't get an exit no, at all. Absolutely. 
Went out for a pencil and never came back. Yeah, yeah. Some actors struggled to get work after the book. I mean, you you had a casualty in a heartbeat and then joined Dream Team, which must have been a really good job to get, you know. It was okay. It was fun. I enjoyed your Dream Team. I enjoyed Heartbeat and I enjoyed Casualty. I mean, a lot of acting to do with acting. Your career as an actor, you know, it's learning how to deal with the rejection. It's a tough game. When you weren't acting, I'm guessing you missed it, you know, before coming back. I I hadn't realised how much I missed it till I started working again. But yes, I mean, you don't allow yourself because it it does your head in. You can't think about it. You know, you've got to. I love it. I love acting. I love doing it. It's a luxury. Missing it um, too much. You know, you can't if you're not working. You're not working. So you've got to get the news something else. Um, otherwise, you go focus. Am I right that racing driving is another of your passions? No. Right? Well, it's something that I think every kid wants to do. Every boy wants to have a go at racing driving. And um, I got, thanks to the bill and a couple of friends, I got the chance to go around good at Silverstone a few times. And enough to realise that I had zero talent. It was something that's not unlike acting in the sense that you've got to be doing that from a very young age. I mean, you look at dance. I mean, dancing's hard. That's a tough profession, being a dancer. But again, you've got to be starting, you know, 10, 11, it's hard to make up time after that as a dancer. As a, you know, you've got to be doing go-karting and all the rest of it as a racing driver to stand, you know, to stand a glimmer. I mean, those are tough, tough guys out there with a serious desire to win. And everybody thinks, it's like a lot of people think they can act, everybody thinks they can drive a car fast. Well, yeah, anybody can drive a car fast in a straight line. It's easy. It's the corners of the tricky business. And then learning what you do with the rest of it. I mean, I have no idea. I speak with no authority whatsoever. All I can say is that going around a circuit with an instructor and then on your own is a fantastic learning experience. That That is good once you get over the idea that you're not Superman after you've done it. But that is a great experience. It's a great one of the things you should do. It's a bit like sort of saying, I'd love to fly a plane. Well, do you know you can do that? Oh, really? How can I do that? Well, if you save up enough money, you go and have a flying lesson. And in that flying lesson, the person sitting next to you, who's the person who knows how to fly, will say to you, okay, well, you're flying the plane now. You're not serious. No, you're, <laughs> you're fucking joking. You're not. Oh, my God. And, and you, can, you can do that. And you can find out how much you want to be a pilot. And it's a bit like that when you go around a racing circuit with a professional driver for the first time. So I know it's a race circuit. This really is a bit fucking fast, if you don't mind. <laughs> this is a corner here, and I, you know, I just mind slowing down a bit for this one. Just, you know, just call me old-fashioned, but that's it. That's the reality of it. And if you say you'd love to have a go at acting, well, come and hold my hand and just feel my pulse rate as I stand in the wings before the first night in the West End. You go out there. Are there any dream projects you'd love? to do or any roles you'd really love to get your team no 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 there aren't i mean i'd love to keep on working i love comedy i love acting period i just love working the yeah working the joy of working with good people good writers good directors good you know i've been very very lucky there's rumours of the Bills sort of coming back in some form. 
Well, they, it was always going to be that storyline was always a gem. The idea that you have a procedural that from an ordinary policeman's point of view, it is an absolute open book for writers. It's an open book for writers and for actors. So there is an adage that you don't mess with something when it's working. Just resist the temptation to muck about with it. Just go on producing good scripts and the bill as an idea will always serve you well. Arguably after you left a, uh, well, not arguably, they did mess with the format and they got it wrong, you know. Um, whereas that, that's the frustration of people thinking, you know, we've got to do something that they want to bring their ideas to it. They don't want to, you know, they've got their own careers as producers and they want to, very difficult to leave a good thing alone. Don't fuck with it. It's all right. Just leave it alone. And it's very hard to do. You need to know your stuff. And inexperienced producers coming in who don't know their stuff. It was, it, and it's so, in, in terms of it coming back, it, it's absolute certainty it'll go again if, they, if, if it ever comes back again. Because the premise is a simple one. You tell it from the policeman's point of view and you do it from the ordinary policeman's point of view. So the stuff you deal with every day. Mm. And you can throw in the stuff. It's, it's everything. It's all, you know, some of us, it's not all, you know, people talk about drama. Well, the drama is quite often dealing with the people you have to deal with, the people both on the street, in the, the people you work with, the public that you deal with. There's plenty going on. And the writing there, that's, it's lovely. It's about people. Lots of drama there. I mean, there is, there is more stuff going on in real life than has ever been shown on film or on stage. It's there for you. Just, you know, go with it. Brilliant idea. It was then. It still is a great, great idea. I hope you're pleased in the fact that your work is still not only being appreciated, but in some cases discovered, you know, thanks to I'm repeats. I'm delighted if that's it. I mean, just through beyond measure. Absolutely chuffed to bits that that's the case that's the, I, I'm delicious that's the uh, great that is great um, without question that's that's what keeps things ticking along nicely thank you very much if that's the case then that's brilliant I'm overjoyed to hear that and, and this is going to be uh, you know the Christmas special so this is going out Christmas day people are going to people are going to be you're going to make a lot of people very happy on Christmas Day. So what, what will you be in, enjoying doing on Christmas Day? And what is your Christmas message to the fans of the bill? Well, my message to the Christmas fans is have a wonderful... I wish you a very, very happy Christmas and a very peaceful New Year. What will I be doing? Well, <laughs> everybody at Christmas, could you start off saying have a wonderful day? And of course, by about six or seven o'clock on Christmas Day, you don't know what half of them are up to. <laughs> you know, the kids are doing one thing, the grandparents are doing something else. You think, oh, dear God, just a bit of peace and quiet to do the crossword. That's all I ask. I don't <laughs> All life is there. But I hope everybody has a wonderful Christmas and uh, good luck. This is Ben Payton and you have been listening to The Bill Podcast with special thanks to Sean Scott. Produced and presented by Oliver Crocker. Co-produced by Ben Adams, Dan Evans, Sarah Kuiper 
Alex Mockler and Simon Wolfe. Executive produced by Glenn Allen, Ben Ashmore, Daniel Christopher, Alana Dewar, Andrew Dyack, Paul Dunn, George Fairbrother, Stuart Gibbon, Erin Gordon, Luke Hegarty, Edward Kellett, James Ledane, Lucy McNeil, Stuart and Jen Morris, Claire Norbury, Justin Pitt, Tom Sherrington, Angel Stannard, Patrick Stratford, Sarah Went and Michael Weil. Brought to you in association with georgefairbrother.com and Misty Moon Events. Signed copies of Oliver Crocker's book, Witness Statements, are available from devonfirebooks.com. On behalf of all the cast of The Bill and everyone involved with The Bill podcast, may I wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year.